I'm excited for you guys, and the reason I'm excited is because I got to hear Peter Eva's first service, so I got an idea what he's about to bring to you, and I think is really good and really exciting, and he's got a great energy of something, uh, I think, impacting to share with us. And so without further ado, would you welcome Peter Evis, who will be speaking to us this morning. Thanks, Peter. Uh, the, the sermon's completely different, so... I mean, it's totally different. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You just said that for nothing. Yeah. Um, should I even have a sermon? Yes. No. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, who said no? I didn't even have to look up. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, great to be here, isn't it? Slap bang in the middle of forty days of faith. We've made it this far. Right? How's it going in the 40 days of faith? It's good? Can, you, can, can anybody sort of talk about any sort of tectonic spiritual shift in their lives they want to describe in all this gory detail in front of everybody? <laughs> no? With a show of hands, has anybody felt some sort of spiritual dial, move on the spiritual dial, maybe in the relationship with God or somebody else? as a result of fun stuff, powerful stuff that's going on in 40 days? Is there, is there anything happening? Ryan, good. Thank you for putting your hand up. Anyone else? Jamie, Jamie. Good. Good. This is excellent. This is far better than the first service. Um, great. I mean, we've got 20 days left, and, you know... I don't know if there's any sort of building of momentum, but I wouldn't see, be surprised if there was, okay? So, does anybody have their um, 40 Days of Faith bracelet on? Do you see that? Remember when we made those? Stephanie, you do? Good. Anybody else? Alan, good. So, I always wear mine, but I forgot to put it back on after I did the dishes, which I do like three times a day and like do them perfectly and like put them away. No. Um, and um, so I didn't put it back on. But like what I did, what's the color bead, Carolyn, that you have for the one big thing that you're praying for? Uh, mine is red. Yeah, mine's red too. Everyone said that wasn't the right color. No, it's your favorite color. It was the color of your choice. Oh, okay, right. I, okay, there's no right color. Okay, because I picked red because of Liverpool Football Club. And... Um, <laughs> And then someone said, no, it should have been gold, you know. And I think gold was something else, right? Gold is something. Yeah, what was it? Yes, for God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. That's right, yeah. And then blue was to fill the river with spiritual power, right? Yeah. So I put two red beads, two gold beads. You know, I really wanted to, like, you know, get greedy. I wanted to, like, double fist it up through 40 days. And that's because I'm a sort of greedy sort of person. That's kind of, like, how I operate. And if I was a smart aleck, I could say, like, you know, it's okay to be greedy for good things of God because, you know, he wants us to scale up our appetites when it comes to prayer. And I feel like I can say that because Jesus was always looking for ways to wake people up to what God really had on offer. And if you notice, a lot of his teachings were to kind of help people see just how good God was and how amazing his promises were and how they could be believed and how they could be experienced and lived out in their lives. And I think it's interesting that Jesus always talked like that. I mean, it's interesting because he entered the scene um, at a time of really significant oppression and strife and 
and, um, and just a general danger in his land, both spiritual and, and political. People lived in direst of poverty. They were always at the risk of raging famine. There was political insecurity. There was a weird arrangement in the regimes that controlled the place. Um, and, and, you know, like you can tell, like all the weird stuff you had to do, you just had to move and go to a census that happened when Jesus was born. Like, how disruptive. I mean, just how terrible is all that? And despite all of that, he would give these talks to people who would come and basically say, look, my friends, God can actually do this really amazing thing, and he can do that really amazing thing, and while he does those amazing things, he's going to be really close to you, he's going to live in your lives, he's going to live inside your lives, and just because he has this really big heart, it's easy to get to know that heart, and by the way, stop worrying, you've got to stop worrying because I'm here. And that that would sort of encapsulate much of what Jesus did. And I think overall what he wanted to get across was that God, just how good God was and how great it was to live life being filled up with that goodness and how accessible that life was. And that view of God permeates this wonderful, memorable teaching that Jesus gave on prayer that we're going to look at today as part of this 40 days push. Um, But before we look at this, I want to state something really obvious so you can see all the dots I'm connecting. Um, Prayer drives many of the spiritual practices that we're looking at during 40 Days of Faith, okay? Our sermon series is called Spiritual Practices for Dummies, and that's our way of saying that we're all learning, we're all accessing God in fresh new ways every day, and he has something fresh for us, and we can do these things. We can all do these ways, these practices. But the important point is that all of these practices involve prayer in some way. I mean, if we're praying for somebody to be well, what are we doing? We're praying. We're praying. We're actually, Jesus, come and heal this elbow. There was a lot of prayer, healing words, physical healing words in the prayer team in the first service. But even if we're doing something like listening to God for good things for other people, which was the focus of our first workshop, and we're going to have another workshop on April 7th, um, Enjoying prayer will make those sort of things kind of easier and more enjoyable because we'll be more attuned to what God has and how he interacts with us and how he speaks to us, and it'll just feel more natural, okay? So loving prayer will help us in all sorts of ways. Um, And when I say enjoying prayer, I do not mean any sort of forced enthusiasm. I'm not saying we should think about prayer as something we we should enjoy because it should be enjoyed, okay? I'm not, that's not where I'm going today at all. So if that's how you're seeing things, just take that out of your head and throw it away, okay? I'm talking about being in a place where prayer is something that flows from us. Um, we'd be ourselves when we do it. We'd look forward to it. It would be an urge that just comes bubbling up inside us. It would excite us. It would be natural, And that's where I like to be. And it's quite incredible that I'm there because I'm never been somebody, I never will be somebody who has this, who's like the ideal of painstakingly pursuing spiritual things. That to me has been, never been my aim or attractive to me in any way. And I think part of that comes down to the fact that so much in life involves doing stuff because it needs to be done, right? So if you have a toddler, it's nonstop. It's just like, clean up this mess, clean up that mess, deal with these tears, say no there, say no there, say no there. How long before I can have a glass of wine and put them to bed? You know, that's like, 
that is like, you know, there's so much of life is like that. Going to work is the same thing. It's like all those things you have to do that you don't really want to do and how it hollows you out over time. And, you know, it's just nonstop. And I would just be very distressed if faith was like that, okay? <laughs> like if it was dominated by a sense of duty and a need to get things right. Um, I want something more, right? I want something more from my faith. I want faith and the things of faith, like prayer, to be alive, magnetic, intriguing, shameless, powerful, real, extravagant, extravagant as a gift. And thankfully, Jesus, I think, also saw things that way. And in this teaching we're going to look at of his, he communicates that amazing combination of extravagance and enthusiasm. And this is his teaching on prayer from Luke's gospel. So one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give your good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, so you see what we kind of have here. First of all, Jesus gives his disciples a simple framework. They probably kind of half know anyway, because they talk about John, um, and for what they have to pray. And this framework is often called the Lord's Prayer, probably because it was from the Lord Jesus. And um, that framework ends with the phrase, lead us not into temptation. And folks, it's brilliant. This framework is brilliant, okay? People have just prayed these words for thousands of years, and it's been powerful and real, and massive things have happened as a result. It's also a piece of genius because it maps out the important areas of our life that we can pray for, so we can pray for our needs. That says green light to that. We can um, pray for our sins. We can pray against being tempted. We can pray for God to come. That's his kingdom. And we can pray against evil. And there are a lot of, you know, amongst those big macro Micro themes, there's lots of micro things that we can pray for uh, for ourselves within those areas. So it's it's a masterstroke of genius, the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus thinks to give the disciples more. He's like, that framework is great. You wanted to hear it. I laid it out. You're going to do that. That's fantastic. But there are other things, guys, that drive prayer that you need to know about. Things that will help you grasp and go for the amazing possibilities of the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus does is, after the framework, he adds two short stories, which are very helpful for us today. The first story, of course, is the guy waking up his buddy, asking for some bread for the person who's just coming into town. And he says this, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And this is like, 
amazing, right? I mean, Jesus is telling us so clearly here that we need to be shamelessly audacious when it comes to praying, okay? The word that really struck me when I was looking at this passage is the word shameless, okay? Shameless audacity, right? Shameless audacity. That's like gloves off, green light, clear roads, tsunami time. Do you know what I mean? It's like, let's go for it. Some married folk. You want a better sex life? What do you pray with? People in the workforce, you want that job that's like a notch or two above where you can really get a job? How do you pray for that job? Shameless. Shameless. You shamelessly pray for it. You don't hold back. So you see what Jesus is up to here. He's got this brilliant framework, and then he slaps on this big slab of red meat. He's like, this is your stuff that you get your teeth into, you know? And yet he's not done. Look at the next picture Jesus paints. He starts out like this. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then Jesus brings the whole thing home like this. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And this is just amazing on several levels, okay? This is just staggering. I mean, first, I think the thing that jumps out at me is that Jesus is, is, is going to care for us kind of like a parent cares for us, okay? We're going to have this loving, protective, soothing, resourceful presence in our life when we know God. And then he takes this further. He says that, you know, to, to help us open our minds up to the full potential of prayer, he says, he sort of ends it with this, um, you know, with this punchline that's kind of very, kind of catches us out, okay? But, but let me look how, let me look first at how Jesus does not end his teaching, okay? Jesus does not end his teaching by saying, if then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven help you pray with shameless audacity? He doesn't say that, right? Nor did Jesus say at the end of his teaching, how much more will your Father in heaven give you answers to your prayers? I mean, if you follow the logic of this teaching rigidly through this teaching, um, which is all about asking and asking, okay, you would expect for his teaching to end like this. How much more will your Father in heaven give you what you want? That's kind of what flows. But he doesn't end it like that. He does it with this surprise punchline. He says, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's a big deal. That's a really big deal that he puts the Holy Spirit there. Now, why would I say that? Now, that's because the Holy Spirit is God with us, okay? He's, our, he's God's presence in our lives every day. He brings Jesus. He's brought Jesus. He's highlighting Jesus. He's highlighting this teaching to, through me, to you, through you, to me, whatever, in this room right now, okay? He, he has the power to do impossible things, and we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we can be immersed in him, and he can be our friend, 
Um, it's very hard to describe everything he does because there's so much. But he's also available to everyone. He can move into anybody's life, regardless of their background. He can reveal God's goodness to anybody, no matter where they came from. And that's because the Holy Spirit understands that the, the details of our lives, the difficulties we face, our frustrations, our blind spots. He knows everything. He knows our, how we all have slightly different needs and slightly different passions and how we can see some things and not others. And I've just noticed that over the years, how his interactions are so different with different people because he sees us as individuals. And Charles made a really good point about this last week. He, he was talking about you know, the law that God initially handed down to his people thousands of years ago and he said that couldn't be for everybody over time. It was just too rigid. And you know what? It wasn't any good for the people at that time. They couldn't follow it. They couldn't transform themselves through the law. And so the Holy Spirit came to connect God with everybody so that they could connect with themselves and other people. And the reason the Holy Spirit can do that is because he's a person. He's in our lives. I mean, he, right now. Let me give you an example of that. He, for each one of you, has amazing ideas for how to make your life wonderful right now. He has those. He has them on a plate, and he's sort of handing them to you, and you probably know some of them, but they're always there. And they're for you. They're for you, Ray. Right? They're for me. They're for Jamie. They're like special ones for each one of us. And many of those things that he's doing in our life get all come together through a prayer life because that's how we speak and we're like i don't i'm not seeing that god i mean like and the holy spirit sort of clarifies it a bit and if it involves other people then he brings that person in and then you know and then you pray about it and then it sort of all comes together into the sort of into the thing that makes it all work which is why i think jesus wanted us to have the holy spirit in relation to prayer so that it could all come together through him and if I think about it, over the last 25 years, I started following Jesus when I was in my like, mid-20s. And the thing that I look back at, I can see now as being, like the, well, I guess, the biggest highlight of my faith in many ways, is this continuous conversation with God. This continuous conversation with God that will never go away, that never goes away even when it gets tough. And we have to recognize that. I mean, we often don't get what we're asking for in prayer, right? I'm sure we've all experienced that, and it's disheartening. It makes us wonder what's going on. It's, it's, it can be very deeply painful in many ways. It brings up all sorts of stuff. And ideally, I would, I would like to dwell on this whole subject of like unanswered prayers and the pain it causes. And, and, I, and, and, I, and I would do that more, but but I can't, don't really have time today, but what I, what I just want you guys to know that we're not the sort of Christians here who just go around praying for big things and then sweep under the rug all the stuff that doesn't happen. That's not us, okay? We're there for you. We'll pray for big things. We love doing that. Um, we think stuff happens. We see stuff happen. But at the same time, we're here for you when there's disappointment and loss and confusion. That's just as much part of 40 days of faith as like examining that and asking God about that. And I think that the, when Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit at the end of this teaching, one of the things he's saying is that it's a sign of just how seriously committed God is to us. He would give us the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit really is the only thing that can work to bring all the goodness that God has into our lives and to sort of sort it out and apply it and live it out 
even when it doesn't work. So he's the comforter, he's a guide. He just makes us feel baseline better, like we can get out of bed when things happen, that don't happen rather, when we pray for them. He's a friend. That's what he is, he's a friend. And I know that from one story about, uh, in my life, um, I was thinking very much about it this week. I took my son, Isaiah, who's 12, um, for his annual eye checkup. And every time I do that, I'm knocked back how God came through for us, even when it appeared that he didn't initially come through for us. And so the backstory about Isaiah is this. Um, you know, we, we had one child who had no problems with her eyes. Um, she's at college now. But we had Isaiah, um, and just a few days after he, he was born, the, the nurses in the hospital discovered that he had these sort of very thick blotches in his eyes, which, which are called cataracts. And the cataracts would, would stop his eyes and brain working together to develop vision. And so if you don't remove those cataracts by removing the natural lenses out of the eyes, you have to do that very quickly, because if you don't do that very quickly, the baby goes blind. And so we were told that there's only one thing you can do, um, you know, when your baby's not even a month old, he needs to have two operations where they just remove the cataracts. And, you know, Phoebe and I were completely surprised by this. We were stunned, but, you know, we believed in praying big. And so in the, in the like a week or so before the first operation, we got everyone we knew across all our Christian networks and beyond praying for a miraculous healing that God would actually come very simply, pray for the thing, take the cataracts out of Isaiah's eyes. So the operations didn't need to happen. I mean, this was like a prayer that, you know, you would want to pray and think that you could pray, right? Because the Bible's full of like blind people being healed, right? But the cataracts did not go, and the operations occurred. And since that time, Isaiah has to wear very powerful contact lenses in his eyes that get put in in the morning and taken out every day. And it's happened even when he was like a tiny baby and he was a toddler, and you rub your eyes. Oh, man, it was just like, it wasn't easy. And I, I felt disappointed for a very long time. I remember thinking that, you know, Isaiah's condition would be an excellent opportunity for God to show his power. I mean, it's a little baby, for goodness sake. And... People would see what God could really do, and like it wasn't like it just seemed so like like it should happen. And when it didn't, I just didn't feel like praying for big things for a very long time. And in the years that followed, there were ups and downs. You know, at times when Isaiah's vision seemed to present serious obstacles for him. Um, but you know what? His vision is very good now. I mean, when he, I was just sitting there stunned at the pediatric ophthalmologist because, you know, and it's just almost perfect in some ways, you know, when he can see things. And all the secondary issues that were caused by him not having great vision have almost completely receded and, and gone away. And, and I was sitting there on the couch in the, in the doctor's office just like oh, thinking, Jesus, this is amazing. I mean, I can see how you were with me. You were helping me pray when things got rough. You were giving me strength. You were giving him strength. You were doing amazing things in his life. And you were doing things that were for me. You weren't giving me religious responses. You know, the Holy Spirit was doing stuff that Peter Evis required. Very, very particular stuff. 
And this was all sort of happening as I was sitting there and the eye doctor was gushing with how great it was and everything and I was just like praising God for how well things have turned out. And what I could see was that the Holy Spirit, who Jesus talks about here, has been the ultimate gift in my life. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So how might we delve deeper into prayer in such a way that we might enjoy it more or enjoy it more consistently? Here here are two practical suggestions for how to take this further. Number one, start with your desires, okay? I I think, like, one of the things that some of us need to do, and I've been in this trap, we just want to just go for directly for what would actually make us happy, okay? As opposed for praying the thing that you should kind of know you should be praying for because that might fix this so that that person can be happier so then I can be happier, right? Don't do that, okay? Do the thing where you go, I want to be happy because I want this to happen. I mean, you can do that, okay? Because sometimes that works as well. But really feel there's a place on the table for you just to say, okay, actually, I want this, I feel like I can go to God and ask for this. Now, I'm not saying that we start and end our prayer life with focusing on our personal happiness. And that won't work, and we'll get to that in a second. But what I am saying is that sometimes I feel that we hold ourselves back by seeing so many things through all these different filters that we've built up in our head over the years. You know, some of them are good. Some of them are great. They help us cope. They help us move forward. Some of them are not so great. Some of them are incredibly sophisticated. Some of them are terribly um, simplistic. Some are selfish. Some are generous. Um, Sometimes we can't even see half these filters, and they will never go away because they're kind of part of who we are. But one way we can at least in our prayer lives, minimize their interference, is to say, today, what can I pray for that will actually make me happy? The things I've always wanted. You know, one of the deepest desires of my heart, in other words, Margaret Silf is an English Christian writer, and I love what she says about desire. She says that, We shouldn't fear it. We shouldn't like poo-poo it. We shouldn't look down upon it. And I feel like this mindset when we start out to pray is really important. She writes this. We tend to think that if we desire something, it is probably something we ought not to want or to have. Who hasn't felt that, right? Yeah? But think about it. Without desire, we would never get up in the morning. We would never have ventured beyond the front door. We would never have read a book or learned something new. No desire means no life. No growth, no change. Desire is what makes two people create a third person. Desire is what makes crocuses push up through the late winter soil. Desire is energy, the energy of creativity, the energy of life itself. So let's not be too hard on desire. I love that last line. It totally encapsulates my point. Let's not be too hard on desire. I mean, the Psalms also have a lot in them, just sort of like about desire. And that's why they can sort of seem egotistical and kind of selfish, you know. Like, so, so many of them seem, so many of the Psalms seem to go like this. Um, oh, look at all those evil people. But I'm good, Lord, bless me. <laughs> I mean, here's Psalm 37, for instance. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. 
for like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, that seems to follow the pattern I mentioned. Like, all those people, they're going nowhere. They're going to wither. I mean, what a picture is that? And so the, the psalm writer sort of says, there's this good person that, you know, I can be, you can be, and you'll be blessed, and you deserve to be blessed. And, and I don't really warm to that, okay? I don't get jazzed by that. I mean, it seems a little, the guy seems a little too convinced of his own goodness, for starts. Look, to be fair, I'm, I'm glad that he's doing good, right? I'm glad that, like, evil doesn't succeed in the world today. I mean, I'm glad when I see evil not panning out. But the pious tone kind of grates on me sometimes. And so I, I struggle with this sort of stuff. But what recently I've really appreciated in the Psalms is the assertiveness of the writer. This guy, I hope, or maybe it was a gal, I hope it might have been a gal, feels like he can go before God and say, this is what I desire. I expect you to meet my desires, God. There's a, com- there's a sort of, there's a confidence about this that feels right to me and very helpful to me. So we should start with I desires. Tell God the things that, you know, that you want to happen that will make you happy and then pray for them. Not the things, guys. Not the things that might build up a situation where, you know, it can just happen and maybe I'll get a little bit happier. No. Pray for the things that make you happy. Go straight to happy. Think about that now. Think of the one big thing, the, the red or whatever color it is, bead you have on your bracelet. Does, how, how much does it connect you with your idea of happiness? Does it go to the deepest desires you have in your heart? Is it, or is it sort of derivative and sort of apologetic? And does it skirt the edges? Or does it go direct to the heart? And obviously, guys, I know that life is more complicated than just getting the things we need. I mean, we obviously won't become happy if we always get the things that make us happy, okay? That doesn't really work like that. We have relationships and other people have things that make them happy and they will be sort of opposite to what we want. And so, you know what you do then? You tell them that you're praying for this thing and then you have a big discussion about it and then the Holy Spirit often comes and works things out so that you can both kind of get what you need and the sum is actually better than the two things that you wanted in the first place because that's what God does, right? But we have to be assertive sometimes. So if you want your husband to get off the darn phone and speak to you, you tell him, I'm praying for you to get off that phone and, and spend some time with me face to face because when you do that, it makes me happy and that's why I'm praying for it. <laughs> and you're going to have a huge fight <laughs> because you said it in a really pious voice. But hopefully, the Holy Spirit will be there. We can take these risks, guys. We can take these risks because we have Jesus. Because we know that we can trust Jesus to come and sort of sort things out. And the husband will say, you know what, the reason I'm on the phone is because you do And then it's like all out there and then, you know, whatever. (laughs) I believe it can work out between you and your husband, okay? And so does God. You can tell I've been in this place. I'm speaking from experience, right? Yeah, okay. 
The Holy Spirit can orchestrate your marital happiness, but it takes work. Um, okay, here's my second and final practical suggestion for today. Do the peace check in the middle of your prayers. Now, you're probably going, what the heck is that? Okay, um, this is something I stole, I, I extracted from uh, something called the Emmanuel Prayer Model, and uh, it's a big part of the Emmanuel Prayer Model. Uh, it's amazing. It's been completely working for me. Um, and we've done workshops. Melinda's done workshops on the Emmanuel Prayer Model in our church. And if we do that workshop again, which I hope we do, you should absolutely attend it and get the whole thing. But I just want to look at one part of it, which I'm calling the peace check, and I'm going to tell you why it matters and why it works and why it helps us pray and why it helps us enjoy praying. And it's because, I'll get to the because in a second, but it starts with us having Jesus present in our prayers as we pray. It assumes his presence right there. And okay, already some of you are thinking like, how do do I assume Jesus' presence? I, I don't know. Imagine he's there. Just imagine it. You have an imagination. That's a good place to start. Imagine he's there. You know what? He's there. So if you imagine he's there, you'll see that he's there. Now, often when we pray for something, and this is not something I've experienced all throughout my life, we, we're sort of like going like this, going like this, praying for this, praying for this, and then we get to a place where we feel sort of stuck, or we have a real dip down in enthusiasm, or we might feel stymied, or experience deep unease, and if you're like me, weak, you won't feel like you have the energy to push through that, and you'll probably just sort of wrap up the prayer, and by the way, look, I got a Facebook alert, you know? And at the end of it, you'd be like, well, my prayer life kind of stinks right now, and it sort of feels incomplete, you know, and that, that was good, but not as good as it could have been. So what do we do when we feel that sort of prayer-stopping dip or unease? And this is when you do what I'm calling the peace check with Jesus, okay? You say this to Jesus in your prayers. You get to that point, and you're like, it's not, it's not doing it for me. It's not happening. I feel stymied. So you say this, something like this, Jesus, I'm stuck I'm not going to move on. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to keep in this prayer mind, but I'm not moving on. I'm not going to just keep praying with my head for all these other things until we sort out what's happening right here. Till we sort out why I feel this continual lack of peace about what I'm praying for. And you might continue, Jesus, just, you know me. Come and reveal to me what's going on and and, and yes, help me move through this. I want your help and your peace. I really need that now. And so you wait. And then usually what happens is that there's this flow of new thoughts, new pictures or whatever, that sort of point to why the prayers felt stuck. And then you see all those things, and that kind of opens up all sorts of new things that you can pray for that are actually affecting the thing that you weren't really getting progress on And then usually what happens is the impasse clears and then you can move out on, but only then. And that's the crucial part of this. It's refusing to move on in your prayer until you get that sort of green light of peace from Jesus. So you can be there and you have to be really honest with him and you can say, "Uh uh-uh, it's not here. I'm still feeling weird. I'm still feeling foggy. I still need to get to the bottom of this. Holy Spirit, come, come and help me. Can't unblock things. And then it happens. And you can move forward. But only when you feel like the blockage is gone. 
So let's take a possible real-world example of this, okay? Let's say somebody at work has said something about you that's incorrect, they've been lying about you, and some people even believed it, so you're furious. So you can do all the Psalm 37 stuff, you can pray to be vindicated and for him to wither, you know, and <laughs> go ahead. If that makes you happy, pray it, okay? You have your model there, okay? But you may also feel that, like, over time, that forgiving this person would actually ease you of some of your bitterness and burden and yuckiness about this, okay? So you get to that place, and so you pray to God to forgive Bob, Bob the gossip, God the slander, Bob the slanderer, and because you, you do that because you want to feel, you, 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 it'll make you happy to forgive this guy. You feel that. You feel like it's a happiness prayer. You're going directly to the thing that will make you feel happier. And then you say to God, I just want to forgive Bob now. Let's do that now. And oftentimes it will work. It'll be totally fine. It'll be like, boom, freedom, move on, you know, great in every way. But sometimes there'll be that dip, that unease, that sense of being stuck, stymied, whatever you want to call it. And so you do something like this. You say, Jesus, I don't feel free of this bitterness I have towards Bob. And I've said I forgive him to you and I've asked you to forgive him and I've released him in every way, but still, I still don't feel it. Can you take this? I don't know what's going on. And then you wait and you listen and I don't know what Jesus might do in that situation. He might say the reason you're finding it so hard is because Bob's the sort of guy who doesn't even think he needs forgiveness and that enrages you. So let's deal with that. Or it might be something kind of even more meta, if you know what I mean. Kind of like Jesus might say, well, you know what? You actually deal with unforgiveness in a much bigger way because of all these wounds from your past and how you got hurt so badly and it's always been hard for you to forgive. I would rather we use this prayer time to talk about your wounds and for you to be healed of those. And if we get to forgiveness at the end of this, then fine. But right now I want you and me to talk about your wounds right? And then you're kind of in a better place and you pray about that and maybe you do, do forgive Bob. The peace has come. And that pre- peace check is something that is fantastically helpful when we feel stuck or we feel like our prayers aren't working. And that can be really enjoyable because at the end of that prayer, you feel like you've prayed all that you needed to pray. Which is sometimes one of the things that I struggle with, which is like it just didn't quite get there in some way. And it's not like a performance thing. It's just like, I know that Jesus had more for me. And I didn't quite see it. And this is the way of seeing what Jesus has for us. He wants us to enjoy prayer. I'm done. Thank you.